Before we start today's podcast, we would like to bring to your attention an issue very close to our hearts. One billion children globally suffer from some form of abuse each year, including half a million in the UK, with one in 14 being physically abused. These dreadful statistics have only gotten worse in recent years, and sadly, more children are expected to be at risk as the cost of living crisis worsens. We urgently need to do more to prevent and treat child abuse. Help for Children is a charity primarily supported by the alternative investment industry that is dedicated to eradicating the silent epidemic. Its fundraising events, including its annual gala, are critical to raising much-needed funds to do so. And next month, on the 17th of November, sees the turn of London's alternative investment community to host its annual benefit dinner, and we would love you to join us there. This year, the theme is James Bond as a nod to 60 years of 007 in 2022. The evening is hosted by comedian and impressionist John Colshaw, who BBC Radio 4 listeners may know from Dead Ringers. There will also be a silent auction, a raffle and a live auction. The London Annual Benefit Dinner is always a fun night. It's a great opportunity to catch up with friends from across the industry while raising much, much needed funds in the fight against child abuse. And tickets are still available. Please do contact Fern Gray at fgray at hfc.org. To read more about the great work being undertaken by the Help for Children charity, including how to participate in events in your area, please go to hfc.org. Thank you. Hello and welcome to The Long Short. My name is Tom Keogh. And I'm Drew Nicholl. Artificial intelligence, machine learning and automation, they're just some of the buzzwords that you're likely to have heard during conversations about the future of technological innovation in financial markets. So often we gloss over these terms without dwelling on what they actually mean and how these various tools can or can't help managers run their business. So we have therefore decided to fix this omission and get answers to the questions that you've always wanted to ask about these technologies. To help us in this, we've called upon our friends at SS&C, who are market leaders in fund administration and live and breathe innovation across the front and back office. We are joined by Dr. Zainip Hizir, a member of the EMIR business development team at SS&C Fund Services, and Richard Atkinson, a managing director in systems development at SS&C Technologies. You're both very welcome to the long short. Thank you for having us. Nice to talk to you today. So, Dr. Zainip and Richard, as we said at the top of, of the program, we've spoken a lot about the increasingly prominent role that technology of various forms play in the business of running a fund. And so for those of our listeners outside of the sector, what does that mean in practice? Who of you wants to take that question first? Um, thanks, Tom. So I'll take that one. Um, technology trends do tend to move in waves uh, from initial the research phase through to early adoption and, and then to widespread adoption and delivery of value. Um, the most interesting waves are the really big waves that change our lives dramatically and not just within the world of work. Um, if I think back over my lifetime, the, the big waves that spring to mind you know, uh, was back in the 1980s, the development of the PC. You know, every, everyone in the office getting a computer rather than just one computer that might have been in a server room somewhere, if you were lucky. It was, it was really the, the democratization of computing at that stage. And then um, later in the early 1990s, the, the widespread rollout of graphical user interfaces um, with the rise of, of Microsoft Windows. Um, and then also in the 1990s, the, the, the mobile phones first going mainstream. Um, the internet was, a, was another huge technology wave at the, 
which particularly came in at the end of the 1990s, the advent of e-commerce and really connecting the world and starting to migrate software back off uh, your computer and, and into the cloud. Um, the smartphone revolution was another one, you know, with particularly the launch of the iPhone in 2006 and, and subsequent um, smartphones then becoming you know, fundamental to our lives. Um, and about the same time, the rise of social media, uh, which moved you know, more of our personal relationships online as well. Um, and since then, increases in network bandwidth in, in both our sort of um, fixed and mobile networks have enabled you know, the migration of, of broadcast television to streaming services and the now ubiquitous use of, of video conferencing. You know, fund managers will be using all of these things and, and consider them part of you know, the routine uh, operation of their businesses. If I had to pick a single new wave that still has to reach its full potential and that, that you know, fund managers might you know, be continuing to, to look at, it would be the rise of artificial intelligence and more specifically machine learning and intelligent automation, which um, I know we're going to be talking about it in more detail. So just looking at the the funds industry or the alternative investment industry specifically, I imagine there is a, a huge discrepancy between what uh, many of the smaller players might consider sort of must-have technologies of today compared to the larger players. So if, if we think about the, the, the type of technology they should be expected to be wielding today or, or what might be on their wish list, how has that changed over the years and, and, and where are we now? So I can take that one uh, because I like the, the topic of the startups or the smaller uh, organizations that are entering the marketplace. Uh, one thing that uh, Richard just mentioned is the power of intelligent automation. And intelligent automation allows organizations to reimagine the operating model, enable and augment the workforce and gain business agility. This business agility is what the smaller firms or startups typically have compared to larger organizations. So through intelligent automation, larger firms are gaining this uh, agility and uh, keeping their competitive advantage. So we, we've mentioned automation there and, and AI. So let, let's dwell on that for a second, because automation really is one of those terms that will come up again and again when you're at events and, and generally sort of reading around market trends. So just to focus on that one for a second before we, we go into the others, what, what does that actually mean in your world of fund administration and, and why is it such an important development? I'll take that one too. Thank you. So the term automation refers simply to the technique of making a process to operate automatically. So in its simplest form, intuitively, automation refers speed and efficiency. So automation in itself isn't the important development, but what makes it an important development is that we can combine automation with other technological advances that enhance automation, technologies such as RPA and AI. When we combine these techniques, RPA and AI, we have intelligent automation. And that's where the important development in the world of financial services, not just fund admin, come into play. So uh, if I can just expand on that, a common example given in this space is comparing robotic process automation to Excel macros in that RPA is Excel on steroids. Particularly in hedge fund world, macros have been widely used in the investment research or in reconciliations or calculating hedge rolls. Where macros only operate in Excel documents, RPA can combine different inputs and different systems to achieve the desired outputs. 
What this means is that tasks and processes that are automated so that the front office or human workers are relieved of non-value add tasks for better and more accurate decision making. Dr. Zainab, the, the, you, you've brought a new term into my lexicon, which is RPA, or Robotic Process Automation. I thought I had understood it, machine learning and artificial intelligence. For our listeners, like myself, who are not that minded in terms of these technological phrases, how could you boil down RPA to its most simple example? You've given an example of it in practice when it comes to the funds industry, but what would be a more simple example again around when describing RPA? So RPA is uh, the robotic process automation. So it's uh, actually, it's mimicking the human swivel chair movements. So for example, downloading information from an email, copying it, putting it in an Excel spreadsheet, running a macro, and then uh, uh, outputting into a different report. RPA can do this automatically because in these uh, sequence of actions, there was no value add by a human worker. So RPA can do this and RPA is not intelligent. So if you have a task or process that is not good or streamlined, uh, RPA will do it just as bad, but it will do it faster and without making any errors. I hope that was a... Yeah, so it's for the more labor intensive type work where you can get the robot to come in and do what a human would take, you know, you know, much, much longer to do, right? Exactly. So it's uh, typically um, actions that are copy-paste, that uh, don't require any human uh, thought process into it, uh, the swivel chair movement, so uh, taking information from one place, putting it somewhere else, sending out an email. These are all actions that can be uh, enhanced by RPA. But if we combine RPA with AI, so the artificial intelligence, that's uh, which is simulating the human think- thinking, this is now what we call intelligent automation. And this is really where the value add is. When I started doing my research in RPA, uh, first uh, it was, oh, RPA is the best thing in financial services. It's excellent. It's magnificent. Everyone should do RPA. You don't need to use the IT departments. Uh, Everybody can be an RPA person. Uh, And then uh, as as I continued my research, uh, we discovered the loopholes of RPA and where RPA falls short. And it was the worst thing. You can't do anything without uh, IT. There is no ROI on the RPA. Then when we were able to combine RPA with other technologies, uh, AI or OCR, we are we are now facing with intelligent automation. And that's really where we can gain the values. AI can process high volumes of unstructured data. So now we can process paper-based and or manual tasks that were traditionally take lots of human decision-making and time and copy and pasting. This is now uh, automated. And uh, this is what we call the digital workers. So RPA then is the most basic form and artificial intelligence is a much more advanced form, right? So what then, how would you define machine learning? Is that somewhere in the middle? Yeah, perhaps I'll, I'll take that one. So, um, Artificial intelligence is computers trying to mimic in some way human thought. Uh, and machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence, which is using data 
in order to build models and then make predictions given new data. So the models essentially recognize patterns within the data and can operate at a very large scale. I studied neural networks in the early 1990s and uh, when I was at university. And at that point, they were, they were interesting, but no one really knew how to use them to solve real-world problems. And it really took another 20 years of research in order for deep learning to be introduced and, and then to make significant strides forwards. And there were watershed moments in 2011 and 2012 with image recognition tasks. And since then, there have been you know, further significant milestones with voice recognition, uh, machine translation, uh, natural language processing, and, and many other areas. And so, for, for example, over the past 10 years, we've all been very accustomed to being able to talk to our digital devices and have them understand us. Uh, and machine learning has been, you know, the key technology that's enabled that shift in capability. So when we think about the the funds business, and um, we're looking at the business from the back office to the front office, where can artificial intelligence and automation then support the operations of a hedge fund business? So perhaps if I if I start on that one um, and sort of give an example, a few examples of where we've used machine learning within our fund administration business, and then Zainab can speak to to you know some of the more front office examples. Um, you know, within our cash wire system, you know, we process you know a million plus payments per year that are mostly high value and same day settlements uh, payments, and there's extensive controls around that process, including make a checker controls on the payment and a callback process to give a, a segregation of duties and a two-factor verification on them. But we wanted to provide additional information to the person approving the payment to advise them if the payment looked unusual compared to previous payments that have been made. And that's not a particularly easy problem for traditional software development approaches. So we tackled the problem by training a machine learning model using key attributes of each payment that could then provide fast insight to the person approving the payment, whether that particular wire was looked unusual. Uh, it was not a hard stop for the payment, but an advisory to the person approving the payment to take extra care and ensure that the payment uh, is appropriate for their client. Uh, and we've since then, we've applied similar anomaly detection for profit and loss items on accounting reports um, within our new GoCentral application. Um, we also process a large number of loan agent notices, which is a, a challenging area to support because we receive a lot of documents that are very diverse in terms of their formats. Some we receive as PDFs attached to emails, some are just emails, some are received by fax, uh, and the volume is incredibly uneven um, as it tends to be relatively low during the month and then has a significant spike with 60 to 70% of the documents uh, received in the last four business days of the month. That makes it very challenging to uh, resource with a service team uh, doing the processing because it leads to some very long hours being worked at month end and even more so at quarter end. Um, and applying traditional software development techniques to extract information from those loan agent notices only achieved relatively low straight-through processing rates. And so over the past few years, we've been applying machine learning to that problem as well, using natural language processing um, in order to significantly improve those straight-through rates. So we convert the loan agent notices into text, 
using OCR. And then we pass that text to a neural network that's been trained on previous loan agent notices to extract out the key economic attributes that are needed in order to update the accounting system. So for a rate setting notice, it would be the, the loan facility identifier, the effective date, you know, the new base rate spread and the all in rate, for example. And so the neural network is taking that unstructured text data and then um, turning it into structured data in order to feed the accounting system. So it's doing that pattern recognition in order to identify the correct fields in the loan agent notes and provide you know, materially better results. And so that's another example of where we've had good success with the technology. Thank you, Richard. Uh, th- those were really great in-depth examples. I want to just touch upon some of the new uh, techniques that we are using in our world uh, in the hedge fund space. Uh, Most recently, in March 2022, uh, SSNC acquired Blue Prism, which was a market leader in uh, robotic process automation. So this has enabled us to unlock more uh, capabilities in our intelligent automation space. And some of the ways how we're enhancing hedge funds is facilitating the speed of new account opening and speed to market improving sanctions checking for offshore hedge funds, institutional entity checking to improve compliance, improve productivity and accuracy of reporting internally for decision-making or externally for clients and regulators. We're improving fund management risk, reducing costs through automated reconciliation services, improving cost and speed of bringing new products to market and cybersecurity, which are all key areas that are challenging in the hedge fund space. Hi, this is Bill Kelly, President and CEO of the Kai Association, and you're listening to Amos, the Long Short Podcast. Join me in episode 14, where I discuss my vision for improving financial literacy and understanding of the alternative investment industry, as well as keeping Kai's curriculum up to date with the market. And this is a never ending job. Enjoy and stay educated. Can I just pick you up on something that I think you've both mentioned so far, which is uh, this need for data to be standardized and, and, and that really being the, the, the essential component of applying automation and a lot of the AI, you know, it, it really, it really can't be stressed how, how important that aspect is. But there are areas of our industry, at least, where that is very difficult. And the one that comes to mind is ESG. So could you just help our listeners understand in a little bit more depth where data standardization comes in and and maybe use ESG as an example of of why it is so essential? Sure. Yes, I can. I can take that one. So we we certainly do take in data from a number of ESG vendors and integrate it into our security master to then provide um, aggregated reporting for both um, investment managers and for um, investors as well. There's, there's a large number of data points um, from each of the ESG data vendors on, on each issuer, um, but there is still significant variability between the data sets. You know, that variability you know, can include scope divergence, you know, where there's different pillars that are being evaluated with, within each environment, social or governance rating. Weight divergence, where you know, how the scores for each pillar are then combined into an overall E, S or G rating. Uh, and also measurement divergence, even at the kind of the very bottom layer of that pyramid in terms of what is being measured. Um, for example, you know, whether it's carbon dioxide emissions or 
carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. There was some you know, academic work done on, on the topic by the MIT Sloan School of Management and the University of Zurich, uh, which showed that the correlation between ESG ratings ranged between 38% and 71%, whereas correlations between credit ratings are typically around 99%. So there's definitely some way to go in terms of reaching agreement in terms of methodology. Tesla was one key example where in 2019, MSCI rated the company in the top 10% for the environment rating. Um, FTSE rated them in the bottom 10%. And uh, Sustainalytics, which is now owned by Morningstar, rated them somewhere in the middle. And the, the reason for the, that divergence was that MSCI was evaluating them on the end product zero emission cars. FTSE was evaluating them on their factory emissions and sustainable analytics was looking at both. So there still isn't a consensus in the evaluation methodology for an environment rating, let alone how to combine all three of those into an overall ESG rating. You know, so, so there's definitely you know a, a lot of opinion still in, in the mix and I think there'll be a range of opinion um, that, that continues to exist, you know, across data vendors, across investment managers, and and also uh, uh, across investors as well. You know, I think probably the key uh, for investment managers is to provide transparency around the process that they use and how it integrates into the investment process. And then also for investors, you know, to dig beneath the, an ESG rubber stamp, as it were, to make sure that the investment process is is actually meeting their objectives and priorities as well. So is this an example then for a limitation, at least for now, in uh, AI or, or intelligent automation, as you describe it, insofar that it's being held back by issues in the wider market and the data sets you're getting? Is is the, are the tools and services that, that you work with every day sort of hamstrung until this issue is resolved? I, th- I think in some ways, you know, Machine learning can can help to try and solve some of these problems. Um, so, for example, back in the, the the loan agent notice example, the data that we get in from different loan agents is very diverse. The formats are very different. They contain mostly the same information. They don't always contain everything that they need. But by by training a machine learning uh, model on that data. We can we can we're effectively using that machine learning model to standardize that data into a structured format in order to feed an accounting system. So in in that case, you know, we're, we're using machine learning to get us to the normalized example. Yeah, you know, with something like ESG data, there's still there's still a lot of um, you know sort of taxonomy issues and and, and opinion within within the data which you know machine learning model is not necessarily going to solve you know it's a question of you know getting to the end of the processes and saying right did that did that produce the outcome which the investors were looking for can i just add to that uh, so uh, thank you richard for uh, going in depth uh, around data and thank you for the questions around data but uh, since esg is an important topic i also wanted to highlight that uh, 
putting aside the data and taxonomy issues that Richard highlighted, intelligent automation can play a significant role in helping companies across industries achieve their sustainability goals and deliver financial benefits. And this is done through evaluating companies' specific sustainability goals and identifying the key places where intelligent automation could make them more achievable and accelerate the benefits and equipping the organization with the appropriate capabilities to measure and govern the progress, which is critically important for internal and external communications. So while there are uh, still issues that are being um, brought up to highlight, uh, there is a lot that intelligent automation can add in the ESG space. And I think it might be useful here actually just to take a step back because I, I think a big component of this conversation that we've not addressed yet is the the drivers of adoption and i think um thank you for the examples you've given because they, they do answer that question somewhat in that uh, you know greater efficiency is is uh, you know a self-evident benefit but there are also uh, external factors as i understand it at least and, and one of those i believe is uh, the demands of regulators on the alternative investment industry when it comes to reporting and you know esg you know comes up again in in that field so just to put it to you, how big a factor is the increasing regulation? And, and you know, as we've covered many times on the long short, there is much more to come in that arena. And is there any particular examples that stand out to you? Sure. So uh, as you highlighted, Drew, uh, there is a, a lot of uh, regulatory requirements that is putting a lot of pressure into organizations because uh, the complying with this regulation is quite costly. It's uh, allocating a lot of human resources and technology resources in being compliant with the regulations. Uh, A very new one, most recently under UK EMIR, so in September, uh, the phase four of UMR, so uncleared margin rules, came into play. And so these require very complex calculations, uh, which are very much facilitated by intelligent automation. So not only uh, it's uh, error-proof, it's also 24-7, it's auditable and compliant. And, and again, is that something where with you, you're talking about, Amir, the, uh, the data has to be clean going in or can intelligent automation, by virtue of being intelligent, go some way to uh, consolidating issues in the data sets? Intelligent automation can consolidate uh, the data set. And uh, especially when we've mentioned with uh, putting the intelligence into the automation, we can now also manipulate uh, unstructured data uh, or we can recognize handwriting with uh, a lot of accuracy. So this has uh, enormous benefits in terms of the reporting to stakeholders and uh, regulations and keeping everything auditable and compliant. In, in terms of something like UMR, though, you know, there, there is a, you know, it's a, generally speaking, it's structured data that's going into that process. It's the, it's the client's trading portfolio. It's the, it's the other risk numbers that need to go into there. And so, you know, th- there's always a need to, you know, apply the right tool to the job and, and, you know, putting a neural network in that process probably wouldn't be the right tool for that because, you know, there's, there's a clear way you, you get to the right numbers and, and traditional, you know, software development and, and feeds is, is generally the right way to do that. I think Richard, uh, 
raised a very important differentiator. Uh, all of these available techniques are not always appropriate for every situation. That's why it's very important to partner up with a right technology partner, solution provider, so that we can identify the optimal levels of where to use RPA, where to use AI, where to just use a, a simple API uh, to make your organization run efficiently. I think this is really... Uh, um, a differentiator and a competitive advantage to understanding where to use which technology. And we, we will uh, have information in the episode notes um, for those of you uh, who, who want to read more about that and indeed the work of SS&C technologies. But when it comes to operating all of this new technology, you know, you undoubtedly employees across well, employees everywhere are having to become increasingly competent when it comes to the use of IT and, and being able to uh, stay on top of what seems like an increasing number of trends and ways of managing and working with technology. So what effect is then this having on hiring or indeed the skills that you're looking for, the types of roles across the industry and how they're likely to evolve over the next few years? And, and also then, should we all be learning to code? I mean, kids, the, the next generation, they're already coding. You know, are, are we in a situation where robots are going to take over our jobs or is it more a case of we're going to manage the robots? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. Thanks, Tom. So, I mean, I think employees do need to be competent with IT. I think the, the, the pandemic drove that home when we all started working from home and to, to some extent we became our own IT support departments. Um, I, I also do think it's helpful for everyone to understand the basics of coding, just to understand how technology can be deployed and, and, and how it can be uh, productively used. But I don't think everyone needs to be you know, building systems or, or writing games in their spare time. Um, but certainly an understanding of the technology is useful. Um, I think if a, if a machine learning system is going to take part of your job, it's generally going to be the least interesting part. It's going to be the part that is repetitive. Um, you know, if we, if we get a loan agent notice through our machine learning pipeline and it, it's the same format, the chances are it's going to flow straight through and the machine will recognize it. If it's, if it's a new format that, that, the machine learning pipeline has never seen before, it, it won't get it right. You know, it's going to fall into the exception queue and the service team will have to look, have a look at it. And then, the, you know, they may, if it's one they've never seen before, they may go, oh, that's that's different. Not seen one of these before, but then they'll proceed to work it out. They go, oh, right, well, that's the principal amount and there's the new base rate and spread. And they will, they will find what they need to find in order to interpret that new notice. You know, the machine learning systems that we're, building today you train your machine learning model but it, it doesn't have that you know cognitive flexibility to be able to you know learn new things on the fly the, but people do um you know so they 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 don't display creativity they don't display problem solving they can't learn without experience but people can um they can't perform conceptual reasoning or abstract thinking these are all areas that, that researchers are working on, but machine learning systems today can't do those things. And so in terms of hiring and, and potential careers for our children, I think there's plenty of reason for hope. Um, 
I recently started a book that I'd, I'd bought just before the pandemic, but not got around to, to reading. And it was, uh, it's called Range by David Epstein. It's about how generalists triumph in a specialized world. And it, and it had a fascinating fact that, that isn't new, but I was completely unaware of it. And it's, it's called the Flynn effect. Um, and it's that IQ tests need to be periodically renormalized in order to keep the average score at a hundred. So it's been documented in over 30 countries and the, the gains are significant on average a three point increase every 10 years so when you accumulate that an adult who scores average on an iq test today uh, if they were compared to an adult 100 years ago they would be in the 98th percentile uh, and the gains are, are not in don't tend to be related to directly observable objects but in abstract words or imperceptible concepts like law and pledge and citizen and solving problems without a previously learned method. And these are precisely the areas where machine learning doesn't do so well. Um, so, you know, we're smarter than our parents and our children are smarter than us. And I, I related that story to my, my daughter, who's 16, and she was completely unsurprised. And she said she knew it already, but then she is 16. So our jobs are safe for now. As you say, it's more humans working with the machines rather than machines taking over entirely. So that's comforting to know, but technology continues to to advance and progress. That That's right. And and the, the gains, you know, the gains that we get from working with machine learning systems are increases in productivity, you know, so, and that, that translates obviously to, you know, business value and, and to, to rising living standards. So there's, there's benefits from, from adopting the technology. And, you know, if firms, you know, don't necessarily have the, the skills and experience, you know, in-house to be able to deal with it, you know, there's, there's always firms to partner with to be able to take advantage of some of the capabilities which are now available. You've teed me up perfectly for our final question, which is just to naturally ask you to, to look ahead a few years at where we're going. And I think you've sort of teased that already, but just if I say sort of five years and, and where the alternative investment industry will be in terms of technological adoption. I think we've mentioned one or two uh, areas where it's a little bit aspirational to get there. But uh, as I say, maybe if I could put it to both of you, sort of five years from now, uh, is there anything that we will have that we don't have now? And is there anything that will just be more common than it is now? I'll, I'll kick that off. And Richard, maybe you can add to it. Uh, so today, intelligent automation provides companies with an alternative labor source, a digital workforce that execute business processes 24-7 with incredible speed and productivity, never makes mistakes, has 100% auditability, and can, can tap into one or more advanced AI technologies that we mentioned. So that's what's happening today. Maybe a decade ago, we would never be able to uh, project that. Technology is advancing at exponential speed, whereas we humans can only project linearly. That's why it's very uh, difficult to imagine what the next five years will be. Uh, we expect to see a much wider adoption of technology as alternative investment industry will get used to deploying these technologies and they see these benefits of using these technologies. So we will see the adoption rates go higher, return on investments go higher and uh, advancing linearly, whereas the technology has, has already surpassed the human capabilities. With these facts we have discussed in the session, alternative investment industry will need to quickly adopt these available technologies so that we can get to the uh, where we're going to be in five years uh, quicker. 
Yeah, I, I'll just add to that. You know, the, the technology trends that we talked about, the, the big technology trends that sort of come in large waves, you know, they, they take time um, and, you know, they, they, they seem sometimes to move slowly. But then when you, you look back, you realize that everything changed and, and actually you've, you've become accustomed to the fact that everything has changed, but it crept up on you somehow. And so, you know, I think in five years' time, you know, the, the state of everything will have advanced all the waves that we already have will will be further progressed and i'm sure we will see a lot more artificial intelligence machine learning intelligent automation in the mix of people's you know businesses and personal lives as as well um you know you never know what's going to come up you know sometimes you know you do get new waves arriving that, that you know sometimes have been out there for a while but people weren't too aware of them and sometimes you even find that, you know, that all of a sudden it, it's reached that critical point where you can get huge value from a, uh, you know, an aspect of technology which wasn't there before, and, and those things aren't always readily be readily be apparent. Um, but you know, I think it, it will be interesting to see how the technology is developing, particularly in in the machine learning space, because it's it's got so much potential, and it's really still at the early stage. I just want to quickly uh, add to that, if you don't mind. Uh, so uh, Richard brought up a really good point uh, about uh, investing in machine learning models. And I want to highlight that uh, at SSNC, we invest thousands and thousands of hours in modeling these uh, machine learning programs and models so that uh, if an organization does not want to allocate resources to enhance these capabilities in-house, they can partner up with organizations such as SSNC. Uh, so they can focus on their core competencies and outsource where they don't need the, to develop these competencies in-house. That's a good point, actually. And, and the, the, that whole aspect of the conversation around the, the, the role of service providers being specialists and, and providing these services, especially as it relates to the smaller fund managers that we spoke about before, then, then that's a, a very important part of this conversation. Uh, and maybe we'll, we'll have to get you back to focus on that because, as I say, it's, it's, it's vital. Personally, though, I'm just dwelling on the fact that that we're still going to have a job in a few years. That's that's my one takeaway from this. So I'm very reassured to hear that. And uh, we mentioned at the top of the episode that this was meant to be focused on just sort of answering the the simple questions that maybe get glossed over. And we, we hinted that that was for our listeners, but it was more for me really. And I've certainly learned a lot. So thank you both very much for your time. And uh, you know, your insights have been extremely valuable. Thank Thanks you very much. Me. Nice to talk to you today. The Long Short was brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AIMA.org. Thanks for listening.